This is Urban Tiger Radio, a project supported by CybermouseMultimedia.com, sponsors of our free weekly podcasts. Search for Urban Tiger Radio in the iTunes Store or on Stitcher.com and hit the subscribe button to receive free automatic downloads. Please remember to share and rate our show before you leave. The Good Years by Bill Allerton What can I say about this story? So that if you've listened to my conversation with Don Oliver and Brian Duck, you might find this guy in there. His name in their song is Jonathan Pratt, and the song is called E by Gumber, I'm Code. Now, what else can I say except that in many respects I am Jonathan Rowland, the protagonist in this story. Okay, no electronic engineering degree, but I do share his passion for thermostat twiddling and for degrees Fahrenheit. Not Celsius, they're an artificial construct sent by a Swedish astronomer to befuddle the rest of Europe. Nor do I live in Stansted, nor do I live alone. I'm never sure why I've lived this far north all my life either, when sunshine beckons year-round in the lower latitudes. Perhaps it's because I like planes but not airports. I also like using mice in a story. My cat, Nell, likes them too. But where I write about them, she sucks them gently for a while until they give up, then brings them for my inspection, usually around 3am. Well, dreams of adulation, don't we all have them? Jonathan wants to change the world, and in his hope for a warmer future, he reckons that if a microwave speeds up molecular activity, then, with enough power, running it backwards should be a cinch. But he hadn't reckoned on the mice. The Good Years Jonathan Rowland craved warmth. Apart from this, he was a quite unremarkable man. His career in electronic engineering had ranged from an early lack of promise across the whole gamut into redundancy, where, despite his most dire predictions, there was no equal nor opposite reaction. Except for the fact that the office was now comfortably cooler and no one fiddled with the thermostat. Aged 43, he lived quietly alone on the ninth floor of an indistinguishable tower block in a town of Stansted, which is in itself quite indistinguishable, except for its airport, a poor sister to Heathrow and Gatwick. The descent path into the airport overlooked Jonathan's balcony, and he soon learned to recognise 40 different aircraft by their undercarriage alone. The roar of the planes had become a fact of his life. In fact, they were a welcome diversion from his main occupation, which was to sit, wrapped in a blanket, nursing his pathological hatred of being cold. Outside, the day was as pale as the walls of Jonathan's flat. The sun hung low in the pollution of a sullen sky, with clouds building from the west. It would soon be summer, he knew, 
although at this latitude it wouldn't matter how long the clouds stayed away, there wasn't enough heat in that ghastly glowing orb to lift the outside temperature more than two or three degrees, and whilst that was better than not, it didn't make up for the long, cold nights and the general air of depression about the place. He sat, cocooned as usual in a blanket, in front of his computer, and toyed idly with the mouse. He clicked on the icon that allowed the pointer to trail images of itself as it moved across the screen, then wove it around as might a child with a length of ribbon tied to a stick. He stopped, thought for a while, then opened up a new screen and began to work. Within three months, the first box was complete. It was mostly unremarkable, except for the sheet lead plating on three sides and the top. On the front was a small glass door, and a set of control buttons stolen from the microwave that now lay disembowelled in a corner. Jonathan tightened the final screw, then closed the flat door behind him. He took the bus through the rain to a nearby pet store, returning later with a large white mouse that he named, after some reflection, Santa Fe. He placed the mouse inside the box. Once inside, if his calculations prove correct, the mouse will be delayed in time by one-tenth of a second for every one-tenth of a second of operation. He set the timer for 30 seconds and switched on, then watched with a bemused expression as the mouse, somewhat bemused itself, rotated with the turntable. At the end of 30 seconds, the bell pinged and Jonathan withdrew the mouse. He placed it carefully on the table. It sat there a moment as if unsure of what was expected of it, and it began to move. It took three cautious steps. Behind it appeared a trail of connected snapshot images of itself, so that it resembled a small white concertina with whiskers at one end and a tail at the other. After thirty seconds, the first images began to disappear, and the mouse shrank up to its new position on the table at the same speed at which it had walked. Jonathan turned back to his computer. The mouse, forgotten in Jonathan's haste for greater things, described a perfect arc in the air as it jumped from the table. It then drew a straight white line across the carpet as it ran towards the ruined microwave. Thirty seconds later, the line undrew itself in the same direction, but by then Jonathan was working too hard to notice. If his deliberations proved correct, it should become possible to externalise or even to project the field. Seasons passed, in which Jonathan was far too busy to give anything other than a cursory thought to the white trails that occasionally crisscrossed his carpet between the kitchen cupboard and the hole in the skirting board. 
he just stepped over them and continued to punch the keyboard. Behind the skirting, over by the remains of the wrecked microwave, Santa Fe met Maria, a brown house mouse with a very willing nature. A few weeks later, new small trails began to appear, some of them tinged with brown. Maria's best advantage was that when she wanted Santa Fe, she always knew where to find him. It didn't matter that he came in the first few moments, the thirty seconds it took the rest of him to catch up was more than adequate compensation. Their family grew apace. The children inherited their father's time delay, and although Maria thought they were a little retarded for their age, she loved them dearly. Jonathan was building a new box, much larger than the first. Totally absorbed, he never noticed as the carpet changed from its original blue with small pink flowers into a streaming white and fawn abstract. Outside the flat, the weather retained its constant variation between lashing rain and a weak winter sun that never actually managed to wring out the puddles. Inside, Jonathan huddled beneath two blankets, hating the cold more than ever, and warming his hands against the soldering iron. The box was nearing completion. A writhing mass of coils, looms and solenoids, it hulked upon the table beneath the electronic equivalent of a permanent wave. Periodically, a mouse ran through it while Jonathan was working, linking it to the table with an elongated mouse rope. Some time later, it would unravel and disappear across the floor, towards the corner of the skirting behind the disassembled cooker, stereo, video and microwave. When he surfaced in the damp, dreary mornings, Jonathan found the curtains festooned with mouse trails. The worktops and food cupboards had become a maze that only time would unravel. He would switch on the kettle and wait. After two mugs of sweet, tepid coffee, he would cast a worried frown over the way in which some of the trails were now taking longer to clear. A slice of pale, dry toast later, he would shrug and switch on the soldering iron. At the far end of the living room was a door that led out onto a south-facing balcony. It was just large enough for a second-hand deck chair, an insipid pot plant, Jonathan and the box. He stepped out onto the balcony. It was 11.15am and for once the day was dry without looking menacing. The sun was close to its highest ebb above the bank of radar dishes to the south. Jonathan retraced his steps into the living room as the dust on the balcony swirled in a sudden jet box. The sky shuddered as ten about-to-be-tortured tyres screamed past his window. He looked up and smiled. Boeing 737, on Goodyear's, high profile. Jonathan took a screwdriver from his tool roll, wrapped it in a cloth along with a large pair of insulated pliers and sneaked 
down into the basement. Working quickly and quietly, he cross-linked all the electricity supplies into the single meter connected to his flat. As he stepped back out of the lift, he noticed that his door was slightly ajar and that there were mouse trails across the landing towards the flat next door, where his neighbour, a somewhat unremarkable young woman, kept a tomcat by the name of Geronimo. He hurried inside and found that he couldn't close the door for the trail. He nipped through into the living room to put down the tools, where he noticed at once that the mice had dislodged the coil connections from the tertiary disassembly unit to which they had been quickly taped. It wouldn't take him long to trace back to the wiring and re-colour code that section. He looked at his watch. Fifteen minutes to midday. There was still time. Jonathan struggled the completed unit out through the door and onto the balcony. Once there, he ripped the insipid plant from its pot and balanced the box carefully on top of the upturned earthenware. He'd spent part of the last evening forcing four separate mains power cables into one set of connections and now he snaked the wires back across the living room, disconnected the standard lamp his wife had left behind and pushed home the plug. Out on the balcony... The box set up a gentle hum. Jonathan tuned it until the aperture at the front faced the sun. He adjusted the four lead plates through which the time delay beam would be focused on it, then took his place in the deck chair. Pulling the blanket around him, he reached over and pressed the switch. Nothing happened. Down below, in the basement, the tortured mains wires began to glow with the strain of supplying the box. Four streets away, a substation tripped out first one subsidiary circuit and then another in the effort to divert extra power to the demand. Across the river, the power turbines slowed as current was transferred from the national grid to keep pace with the growing drain. Like slowly falling dominoes, the grids began to shut down first one sector, then another, to keep pace. Amongst the first to overheat, were Heathrow and Gatwick. Jonathan had been sitting quietly on the balcony, the box humming gently beside him. He wasn't alarmed or dismayed when nothing seemed to happen after the switch was pressed. He'd expected that, and after all, anything worth having was worth waiting for. And this was going to take time. Within twenty minutes, the sullen red glow of the sun began to take on a more ovoid, elongated appearance, and Jonathan found he could roll the blanket down from his chest onto his knees. He opened a button on his shirt in anticipation and waited. 
After two hours, the sun had become a deep golden band of spilled egg yolk oozing low across a quarter of its winter arc. Jonathan's shirt was now open to the waist and perspiration rhymed the fringes of his hair. He closed his eyes and dozed off in the warmth of another season. Nine floors below him, people returning to work from lunch suddenly decided not to and went home to enjoy the unusually early burst of summer, thinking that it couldn't last. Out over Europe, the sudden increase in temperature kicked a high-pressure weather front into action. It pushed out northwards to where the colder air descending from Siberia nudged it sideways and east towards Asia. It compressed itself into a heavy cloud bank covering most of eastern Russia, then tipped down towards the Med. From there, the rapidly expanding air over Africa nudged it northwards, back into Europe, where it began to spin. The young woman in the flat next to Jonathan's hadn't noticed the dappled beige mouse sheltering under the edge of her doorstep as she returned. Geronimo was much sharper. The mouse hurtled off and back through the still-open doorway into Jonathan's flat like a bullet train. Geronimo, startled, sat back in amazement. The front of the mouse, whiskers and all, had shot off like a rocket, yet still here, right in front of where he now sat in shock was the rear end. He put out a tentative paw. The mouse's tail was stretched out straight and level as if it was ready to run. Geronimo couldn't quite make sense of it. Eventually he decided that when a cat is presented with at least twenty feet of prime beige mouse, it has to begin somewhere. His mouth began to fill with saliva. He narrowed his eyes, bared his teeth and pounced. His jaw hit the floor with a dull thunk as the mouse trail shrank over the threshold and disappeared inside. With more than a few reservations, Geronimo followed the Santa Fe trail. Out on the balcony, Jonathan was dreaming dreaming of medals of honour, Nobel Prizes, high-profile lifestyles. After all, the effects appeared to be cumulative and permanent given the evidence of the mice. His machine would revolutionise the northern hemisphere. From now on there would be summer plants, flowers, fruit, grain crops, all winter, all basking in unashamedly luxurious sunshine. He would become known as the man who filled the sky. His remaining years would be mostly good years. Summers would always be subtropical. Palms, hibiscus, golden shimmering beaches with shimmering golden women. Mornings so glorious he wouldn't be able to sleep for anticipation of the coming day's warmth and an absence of aches and blankets. His balcony would riot with fresh fruits. Grapevines would strew across the living room ceiling and the gentle drone of year-round bees would buzz beside him like the box. He would sleep naked 
and shame the neighbours. After just a few minutes more, Air control had a bit of a flap on. The only pocket of good weather in the northern hemisphere was over the home counties. One by one, Leeds, Bradford, Manchester and Birmingham airports had all succumbed to a gathering storm, driving like a huge catherine wheel over Britain and northern Europe, with London at its epicentre. The few southern airports were still marginal, but the weather was closing in fast. At this stage, they weren't too worried. After all... Within the London radius, there were three airports with good visibility and excellent facilities to cope with the extra traffic. That was before the power at Heathrow and Gatwick went out. Geronimo pushed the door wider and looked cautiously around. Everywhere he looked, there were mouse trails. They covered almost every inch of carpet, ran up the curtains, over the worktops, under the various bits of discarded electrical equipment in the corner. He prodded one. It zipped out from under his paw like an elastic band. He sniffed at another and began to wonder if he'd died and gone to cat heaven, for under his nose were several hundred feet of prime mouse sausage. He stalked along a row of several trails that intertwined their way across the carpet to the shell of a ravaged cooker. He lifted the door with an inquisitive paw. Twenty or more mouse trails exploded out from below the grill and shot straight for the open door that led on to the balcony. They ran at full tilt beneath Donathan's deck chair, up and through the protected centre of the box and back through the still open door into the living room with Geronimo in hot pursuit. The heads of the trails disappeared beneath a pile of electronic debris. The cat stopped, studied the trails where they passed out of the door onto the balcony and decided that when confronted with this much food, it didn't matter where one began. He took hold of the fattest trail with arrow-sharp teeth and pulled. Jonathan was revelling in the cheers of the crowd. In fact, the crowd were cheering so loudly in the ear of his dreams that he didn't hear the box slip along the tightened mouse trail and onto the floor. As it slid onto its back beside the deck chair, the directional shields that had been taped into place fell away. Still dreaming, he listened in his head as the roar shuddered the sky. Their shout was like a great wind passing. Again and again they roared until he thought their throats would be torn in adulation of him and their voices wrapped him like a cooling breeze. In the street below, the sound of horns began to rise as the traffic gridlocked to a standstill. Without opening his eyes, Jonathan reached down and pulled up the blanket. Warm again, he returned to the roar and fanfare of the crowd in his dreams. Overhead, the sky began to fill with the trails of aeroplane tyres. Mostly good years. High profile. Just lay your fingers on the rails and you will find 
find that without fail vibrations from the engine room they're gonna get you home safe soon well that's all for this week's show folks i hope you enjoyed your free podcast from urban tiger radio and if you've hit that subscribe button you'll be hearing from us again in a week's time so it's a goodbye from me and a from nelly Bye-bye.